Love all my hoes that got it. The back shots and she riding. Hey, I go for that gusto. Losing in the opposite. Check your bag and make deposits. Send the deposits. Send the deposits. You see me shining. Just know I've been grinding. Jason's two and two. The one to one. You'll never find it. I love this LA weather. Cars start over buses. All right, all right, all right. Bear with me here. I'm trying something completely new, and uh, this is a complete and total disaster, typically, if I'm touching it. So, like I said, show me a little patience. I don't need a bunch, but I do need some. I've got special guests that are going to be coming on, and somehow, of course, I end up losing video signal. One way or another, it just never seems to fail that I can screw up even the most simple and mundane task. But I think I've got it. Ray, are you there? Ryan, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here, too. All right, everybody. So uh, this is a little bit of a teaser stuff that we've kind of been working on in the background. Uh, 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 Ryan DeMay of Field Force Ohio. Green Doc, of course, who's been a guest contributor here for a long time. Uh, are working on a project that we are going to call the All Pro Turf Show. And so our hope is to bring, uh, 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 I don't know what it is we're going to bring, but we're going to bring at least a bunch of information from unique points of view. And what I mean by that is that we have uh, a pro turf, sports turf in, in effect. We have someone who manages fine turf and also some sports turf in the in the manner of, of Green Dock. And then I'm just a buffoon. So I will be here to act as a bit of a moderator of sorts and make sure they don't end up uh, fighting each other or even fighting <laughs> me or whatever may end up happening. I don't know. Uh, there's I, Brian, the last time we did this, you you threatened to kick my dog. So I, I'm, I'm just kidding. That never happened. Then I totally made that up. Uh, so... What, Bear with us. We're going to be a little nervous uh, uh, as we're trying to figure this out and work our way through. But like I said, the way we're going to be kickstarting this today is we're going to do a full however long we possibly can. It may be an hour, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter, but we're going to go as long and hard as we can analyzing soul tests. And I thought it would be a unique thing if we provided three different approaches towards how we look at soil tests. Um, you know, again, Ryan has to work in the situation where he deals with uh, lots of bean county counters and budgetary concerns. Um, you know, me being in lawn care, uh, I typically had uh, a certain set of restrictions that were placed on me. And then we have people like Green Doc, who tends to not really worry too much about budgets. The cost is the cost, and he's out to deliver whatever result is absolutely necessary, regardless of the cost. So it provides kind of a, a unique way for us to come together and take a look at a soul test and show, one, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and two, that no matter really how you approach it, as long as you take an agronomy-first approach, you can still make progress that's replicable across whatever environment that that, that you're actually facing. So uh, I thought I would go ahead and give a minute. Ryan, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, so that way everybody knows exactly who you are. Well, yeah, yeah thanks, thanks, man. Thanks, thanks for, for putting this all together. together. You got a nice kick-ass logo there in the background. This is a real deal stuff. So, so um, 
you know, you, you and I have known each other, each other for probably about three years now, and I've been following uh, Reading, Reading Dogs since then, too, but, but uh, I'm glad, glad to have this opportunity to get together and sit down, down and chat. So, so my background is in, uh, I've got varying degrees of turf grass management. Um, I, was I was on a golf course for 15, 15 years and was, was a superintendent of a private club here in Ohio and then transitioned over to sports turf about eight years ago. And so I've seen um, just about anything you can see in cool season turf, screwed up a lot of stuff, and that's how you learn, right? So um, also had you know, a tremendous amount of success, and I'm very proud of that too, but yeah, yeah, like, like you said, said, I deal with, uh, you know, bean counters now, it's more of the, the, the business side of things where I can consult with school districts and parks, uh, park systems and things like that where, uh, you know, they're, they're at scale, scale, right? They're, they're huge, huge scale, scale, so maximizing the investment they have and also looking at, you know, site-specific maintenance, like, like we're going to talk about here. That's really what we want here is site-specific maintenance. But to your, your point, point it, it does get oversimplified way, 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 way too much. And it's, you know, usually what works for me over here, even in the same neighborhood subdivision, whatever, may not work for the person across the street, around the block, whatever the case might be. So I like your point about being able to replicate what we do and base it on sound agronomy and not necessarily just the products that we use. We're always about chasing, hey, what did you use for that? What did you, you know, what, what product, what rate? It's not like that necessarily in the pro turf world. I mean, there's those are important things, and um, but we we really want to talk about the agronomy side and make sure we understand the basis and the science for what we're after and how to get those results. maintenance and fight landscape maintenance for high-end clients who they basically expect results. In other words, here's what I'm paying for you, now deliver. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that results in a different set of problems where in most cases I've been able to, you know, deliver provided I stick to the basics, stick to agronomy. And of course, more recently, I've had to deal with some sports type turf, like golf and other low cut type uh, sports turf. And the odd thing is, is that because I take an agronomy first approach, that has basically been a very easy transition for me. It's not like here's the lawn guy now trying to take care of a bowling green or a golf green uh, because from the start, the people that know me locally have told me, Ray, you know what your problem is? You take care of lawn as if it's on the golf course. <laughs> is that really a problem though, Ray? Well, it's, it's not, and then it is. 
And so, so that's why I thought all of us coming together and having this conversation would be good, right? Because it's it's all kind of varying degrees of exposure that the viewer gets to see. And uh, so, with that said, I thought I would go ahead and uh, begin throwing up a few soul tests. Real quick, can you give me a little sound check, Ryan, so I can make sure I got rid of the echo? Try it now. How's that sound? Ah, yes, yes. I think I think all this is good now. Um, uh, Ryan, if uh, people want to get a hold of you outside of this uh, format here, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is at my website, www.fieldsourceohio.com or over on the Twitter machine there at, uh, at FieldSourceOhio. So you can check out projects we're doing. Uh, we can't share everything from every client, but we try to share the coolest ones we can. And uh, I like to just show what we're doing and, and share it with everybody. All right, so I have the first soil test coming up here, and I'm going to kind of throw this in the background. Sorry if you can't see the chat, everybody at home, but you'll have to bear with me. I'm trying to figure out how to make this work, okay? I'm not an IT professional. I just play one on TV. Uh, so here's the first one, gentlemen. Gentlemen, this is uh, going to be number one that I threw up in our, our little chat there. Uh, this was submitted by, if I can see correctly, uh, Mr. Camillo himself, and he said wow. he ran two separate tests, one for the backyard, one for the front. The fronts have St. Augustine floor tam, and the backyard has wild common Bermuda mostly, but still has about 200 square feet area of Bahia. I'm sorry. Last year, I did a single soil test to combine soil from the front and backyard. The pH last year showed somewhere around a 7.7. I was curious this year to see if there was a difference front to back, especially since the backyard has not been irrigated over the last four years as much as the front. Uh, newer homes that are built in my county have to meet a requirement to get final inspection passed. No more than 50% of the property can be irrigated, which is why they give you unirrigated Bahia in the backyard and irrigated St. Augustine in the front and sides. It did convert two tree bubblers to rotor heads after removing the baby trees, but still this area probably received half or less of the irrigation as the front. So I think my split soil test confirms that the more water I water, with my, I water my lawn with, sourced from Florida limestone aquifer, the higher the pH goes up, probably because of the calcium carbonate in the water other than that i have no explanation for the ph difference between the front and back am i thinking right doing some ph paper tests that ray suggested i came up with the 6.4 for the backyard 6.8 for the front plus or minus 0.2 weird that i now have a lime suggested for bermuda in the back do i need to send off another front yard sample somewhere to get an olson base test for comparison or does that only matter when concerned with p levels i was only able to put down a total of nine pounds per thousand of sulfur last year from august to october but have not gotten up the courage to add citric acid yet all right so there's all the information i could possibly come up with so i wanted to ask y'all uh, what do you think? What do you see when you look at this? Ray, I'll go ahead and start with you. Uh, when you're looking at this, what are you thinking? Well, what I'm thinking is that nine pounds of sulfur that he did apply actually made a difference and dropped his uh, pH uh, down a bit. It actually, I'm looking at what he got pH-wise from just doing that simple test that I walked him through demonstrates that the sulfur is having an effect. But he is facing something that is very important in that 
if you are irrigating with alkaline or salty water, your soil will always want to drift to the pH of that water because you're constantly dosing that soil with calcium carbonate and calcium bicarbonate. And furthermore, uh, I'm seeing something on the soil test that's in front of me, and if in fact they did take their phosphorus determination via a melic tree, that phosphorus level is approximately one half of what would be otherwise available if his soil pH were actually under pH 7. Yep, yep. Uh, you can see pretty stark uh, uh, contrast here. R Ryan, what do you see when you're looking at it? So the when he mentioned that he's irrigated with you know, water from a limestone aquifer, particularly in front. I mean, this jumps out at me like we, you know, we have the same kind of situation here on um, sandy or even heavier soils in Ohio. And it's a common problem where, yeah, you're right, the calcium carbonate level goes through the roof. And so, you know, if you go through periods, prolonged periods, um, where you're using irrigation exclusively and you're not getting uh, rainfall to flush through those bicarbs, it's going to be like hell to, to grow turf. And so, as you water more and more and more. So the things that I would say here for sure from a, from a management standpoint would be uh, deep and infrequent on that irrigation for sure. Because the more uh, light and infrequent you go, you build up those bicarbonates and whatever else is in your water. So if it's, uh, you know, it doesn't look like there's much sodium in that water uh, just based on the front and the back comparison, but um, particularly the bicarbs, I'd be very, very concerned about trying to flush those through as much as possible. So that might mean doing a couple soak cycles uh, once a week rather than, you know, shorter sets two and three times a week. Other than that, I mean, uh, I want to look at this manganese down here too. That's interesting. Okay. Um, you know, the other big thing too, as Ray said, is definitely on the front, I'd be looking at getting the Olsen test just because uh, with that pH elevated and with all the free calcium in there, that's not a true measurement, right? So I think, yeah, so in Florida for sure, I mean, I'd be pulling that Olson sample and then you can test it against everything else that's on there as far as macros just to see, but um, it's really that P number that we're after. And then again, just going back to those maintenance practices of deep and frequent water will be your friend in dry periods. So use those rains to your advantage. There's a couple products out there, Matt, you and I were talking about it before the show, but um, Eximo is a really, really good product to look at in situations like this where we know that we have uh, water that's high in bicarbs. Um, it'll help. It's, a, it's an acid product that will help flush those through a little bit easier. So particularly if you can apply that like right ahead of a ray, that'll help even flush it better. So uh, take a look at that too. It's a managed strategy. This is just one where you got to manage around what is, what is already there. Like Ray said, you're not going to change the water that's coming out of the ground, so you have to manipulate the situation on in the ground to make it work better for you yeah so i would echo the same thing but i, I will say this from my standpoint not a chance in hell i'd go get an olsen test on this <laughs> i just i i would not care enough i've got an idea of what i'm working with i see 51 parts per million and the other one i'm at 26 parts per million i'm nervous right like i see this and and i'm like i'm nervous Whoa. you know i if i can he's in florida though 
He's in Florida, so he can't he can't be applying a lot of phosphorus. So I know he's going to be kind of screwed, really, no matter what. But if uh, so, yeah, you could just go ahead and write that out of the equation. But uh, the the piece that you can definitely work with here is um, the the pH value that you have, the p- potassium numbers that you have, and the micronutrient numbers that you have. Uh, this is where one of those things where it's real simple to use just a balanced complex micronutrient package that is is going to give you some real nice color response given what you've got going on here especially if you could take the area with a high ph down into acceptable ranges uh, you could probably get a little more traction out of it but the big takeaway for me here is that whatever you're applying in nitrogen you have to make sure you're applying at least an equal rate of potassium under no circumstance whatsoever should you ever be applying less potassium than you are nitrogen because of you have critically deficient levels of potassium. And that's according to our floor, which is the MLSN. You are at critical deficiency levels. So under no circumstance whatsoever would I ever apply more nitrogen than potassium if I ever put a fertilizer on this yard. It would always be a 10 10 a 20 20 a 30-0-30. A 30-0-30s don't exist, but I'm just using that as an example of a one-to-one indicate at all times. Ray, you got anything else to throw out there? Oh, yes. And uh, this is where in Florida I've heard of turf and landscape fertilizers where they do one zero two as their base ratio for for nutrients. They do a one zero two and that is because you do not want to be applying high rates of nitrogen to the warm season grasses, especially not in winter where a lot of fertilization is actually confined to. And secondly, in most cases your potassium levels are always going to be critically low because typically they tend to have very sandy soils that are either based on limestone or else actual seashells. So they need to really pay attention to their phosphorus levels and their potassium levels because both P and K can easily become critically low. And in fact, at 51 parts per million of phosphorus, I look at that and I see that as marginal if I'm growing a one-season grass. That's like actually right on the edge. Ray, with, uh, you know, everybody knows, well, some people know at this point about centipede being weird with phosphorus. Uh, how about St. Augustine? Is there any weirdness with St. Augustine and phosphorus? Uh, I do know that if you starve St. Augustine for phosphorus, it develops a very weak root system. So you actually get into trouble if you do not supply sufficient phosphorus to St. Augustine. Yeah. So that's why I consider 51 to be rather low. And, and Ray, in terms of uh, uh, like big wow color factor, I know everybody always points to iron as being the, uh, the solution there. But specifically for St. Augustine, you can get real big color responses out of boron and manganese too. Is that correct? Actually, yes. And uh, 
I'm looking at the test in front of me, and I see how low his manganese levels are, as well as his copper and and the iron, of course, is kind of up there probably because he's been applying supplemental iron. But overall, your focus should be on broad-spectrum micronutrients, not just iron-centric. You should be doing a little bit more balance. And the other thing to consider is if you go really iron-centric or you apply iron to the exclusion of the other micronutrients, what that high level of iron will do is it will block uptake and utilization of manganese and copper especially. And when you do that, you actually start to lose color. It, it works backwards on you. Yeah, I, I think that's all great information. And, and Bill, I think you can work with that. So I'm going to move us on. We've <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to be able to get to everybody's soil test today. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. So don't get mad if we don't. I promise we'll schedule another one of these and get it out as soon as possible. Because right before the show started, there was like another 15 that came in on top of like the 35 that came in earlier. And I scheduled 25 <laughs> knowing that we would never get it. So I'm up to like 60 soul tests now. So we'll have to do this over multiple shows. Please don't get mad at us if we don't get to you today, but I'm going to move on to number two, three, and four here. Uh, this is going to be, um, uh, I, I, I like this because it kind of gives us a, a multiple different pictures of what's going on. Uh, the, the blue F is going to be the front yard test, and we have some comparisons here between uh, what's what was registered at Clemson. Uh, at the bottom of the other one, we also have a comparative soil test also from uh, uh, University of Georgia. And then at the bottom of the first and the third one, uh, of course, we have a, uh, a, a mycel, but we do not have the nutrient values um, uh, associated with those. But at least it's something for us to get started with here. So, uh, Ryan, when you look, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and take a look at these with you. And what are, what are some kind of highlights that stick out to you? So... I'm looking here at front from uh, Clemson right now. First off, yeah, I mean, right now, phosphorus, you're going to definitely be concerned about that because it's going to continue to go down. Um, you know, the biggest thing here, too, in looking at the potassium levels, let me look at the front from before there's the back. Front yeah, and I'll and I'll tell yes. everybody at home real quick is that when you see these in pounds per acre, uh, pounds per acre can be converted to parts per million by divided by two. Uh, just so everybody playing along at home uh, uh, understands that. Correct, and so again, that's why I'm saying those phosphorus and potassium numbers are pretty critical here. You know, when you start looking at this, I mean, phosphorus down around 16 parts per million, right? So we're, we're in the danger zone of getting close to it. On MLSN, you know, we can get down to, you know, I know in the cool season, we can easily get down into the 12, 13 range. On warm season, I'm definitely uh, saying I would not get that low. You know, the other thing here, too, with um, the pH, I mean, things look good there. I, you know, 
with a 6.5 and then you got so a buffer pH. There's a pretty good size difference there. Um, I got to zoom in here. I'm having trouble seeing this. Uh, yeah, I know my old ass too. I had to bring it up on a different monitor because yeah, I'm like clearly I'm like not 200 sure right now. <laughs> and, uh, what turf are we on here? Uh, uh, this is Bermuda grass. Gotcha. Yeah, so you know, I think right here, this is the old rake plan, right? This is one to one to one, right? Hammer at home, one, one, one. and if you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there ain't a whole lot more to it. I mean, <sighs> nothing else here to me says that that wouldn't be a good starting point. I'll just say that. You could, you could go a couple different directions here um, on some micros maybe, but... Ray, what do you got? What I got is looking at that uh, Ryan basically got it in that your basic fertilizer program or this should in fact be one to one to one and probably target uh, three to four pounds of nitrogen per year from a one to one to one depending on your level of maintenance of that turf and do know that if you are planning on mowing this low, your nitrogen requirements actually go down a little bit. And for the question of will the grass be green on that much nitrogen, it's also suggested to apply this one-to-one -to -one -to -one program with some very well chelated micronutrients. And that's how you get your color without pushing excessive growth. Yeah, uh, and so uh, comments here. I'm trying to pay attention to these two. They said if you could give us a rundown because they can't really read it on the screen. Um, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I've got it zoomed in all over the place over here, so that's that's how I can see it. But we're dealing with 16 parts per million of phosphorus, 16 parts per million of phosphorus, 25 parts per million of phosphorus. Uh, that is right there at uh, what is the MLSN critical level of deficiency for phosphorus? I, I can't recall. Eight, eight, 18, I think. 18. Yeah. So yeah. we're we're there or below it. And for potassium, you know, we're at 90, uh, 95, somewhere around there, uh, except this one over here, we're at 56 and or 60, 61. I'm sorry. And, and so, again, critical level of deficiency is going to be 37 parts per million for MLSN. And I'll tell you, at least my management technique is that if I'm less than 100 parts per million of, of potassium, I'm starting to hit, like, panic mode. Not full-fledged panic mode, but I'm starting to get a little weird about it, right? I want to... Uh, I, I want to make sure again, where we talked about that one part nitrogen to one part potassium, if I'm below hundred parts per million, I'm doing that. So that way my potassium levels increase over time. That way I never have to worry about moving into a situation where I'm critically deficient. So, uh, in it, with a pH of 6.5, I'm not overly concerned with that. We've got three tests, six, one, six, five, six, five. All of that looks good to me. looks fine. I've got no issue with it. What does UGA say we have here? A 6.3. So totally good. Fine with that. Um, uh, you know, 
are we, are we okay with the micronutrients? I don't know all the micronutrient levels off the top of my head, but you know, it, uh, Clemson says it's sufficient. I'm not going to argue with them a whole lot about it. Uh, so I would run with it. it, but it's one of those things that if you are doing a one-to-one to one, what is, what is Ray's favorite fertilizer? The Peters triple 20 with micronutrients right on top of it. I mean, it's a, it's a win-win situation. So, uh, I would highly, uh, I just, it, if it was me treating this lawn, that is exactly what I would be running is a one-to-one-to-one and uh, throwing in some uh, micronutrient applications somewhere in and between there. Would I be doing it every application? No, I'm not going to spend the money on it. But, you know, again, I've got a confined budget that I have to work with. So uh, if I don't have to spend the money on it, I'm not going to spend the money on it. And I can still make this lawn look significantly badass without it. So I would use it sparingly uh, as needed. Maybe if I have an event coming up or something like that, then I may, you know, dip into the pocketbook there to make create a little shine. But really outside of that, there's nothing else I'm going to be doing. Uh, Ray and Ryan, do you have anything else you want to add to that? But before you jump into the next one, you just said something really important about dipping into your pocketbook and everything like that. So if you're a pro, Matt, can you throw up that, screenshot of the DAP price and where it closed at like a week and a half ago? Uh, yeah, I think I can uh, uh, find the uh, somewhere on here I can find that. I think it's on, on the Discord there somewhere. Well, I'm not too good at, uh, at looking those things up. Uh, oh, here we go. Here's here's a nice little bar chart that I found of, uh, of U.S. ammonium uh, uh, diammonium, diammonium phosphate. And let me be real clear right here is that you're going to see a price for a metric ton of DAP, but you have to understand that this is a spot price uh, out of the commodity port. This is not going to be uh, something that you and I could buy it at this price for because you have to tack on port fees. You have to tack on, uh, tack on dock fees. You have to tack on freight. You have to tack on uh, uh, the, the, the middleman that's going to negotiate this for you. So, this is not a price we would be getting at. You could pretty much add $200 a ton to this number, and that is going to be closer to reality. And I'm still trying my best to get this up uh, because somehow I managed to hide it in the weirdest folder that I have on my computer. But, all right, I've got it here. It is going up, and uh, Ryan, you're live. Yeah, so the point was more so than the spot price was just a trend, right? So I don't know if this is the same one here that we're looking at in terms of, you know, the trend is something like one and a half times where it was in a previous five-year high. So the whole point here is you got to do the, you know, these soil tests that are, you know, 25, 30, 40 bucks, whatever it costs, is an investment in your financial future if you're at scale. So if you're a lawn care operator, if you're, you know, the park superintendent, the sports turf manager, the golf course superintendent, whatever it is, absolutely critical that you're understanding what the commodity market's doing because those prices are going to go up. And if you don't need phosphorus right now, lay off of it, you know, and that's that's the whole message here. So, Matt, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm still here. And, uh, and for those of you that are wondering, it, it, the same trend is going on with nitrogen right now. Um, and, and uh, so with the, the nitrogen prices going up and you got to remember nitrogen price is going to be largely dictated, uh, based on price of oil and natural gas. 
Those are going to be two of the big components of the manufacturing of, of urea nitrogen. And it is on the exact same trend line. So for those of you pros that are out there and you're getting these notices from your distributors right now about prices going up, this is why. The manufacturers that are producing the material, the manufacturers that are blending the material are being hit right now with huge costs that they have not seen uh, since well, at least within the last five years. So no, uh, that, that, going, going back, back to like 2007, that was probably the biggest, biggest last, last big, big, big spike in the fertilizer market. market. And, and if, if you, you were, were operating then, you knew what that was like. like. It was a huge hit in the pocketbook. And if you had a budget for it, planning into your pricing strategy or whatever, you were going to be in deep trouble. So same thing here is part of the reason we're talking about this is, you know, it's not going to break the bank. Is it going to make it go bankrupt? Probably not. But, but it's going to cut the new profit margin, and that's, that's a huge component. component. So, so understanding the downstream effects of what this is going to do and getting ahead of it by, okay, those customers want that maybe aren't performing as well, let's do a soil test right now. Those ones that are performing well, let's do a soil test now and get some comparative uh, information. Because the last time this happened, I can tell you, the folks that were pros in any segment of turf, you know, sports, golf, uh, lawn care didn't matter. People that were flat-footed that didn't have all that data, accessible to them were the ones who just kept paying the price and that kept going up and up and up, cut right into their profit. And I just want to see that happen again here, folks. Yeah. And somebody asked, is, uh, is potassium undergoing the same thing? And yes and no. Um, on potassium chloride, our cheaper inputs, no, it's actually relatively stable right now. And it's, it's hard to move the potassium price because you have to remember that is controlled by one group primarily now. Nutrient controls all of the potassium chloride market basically in the United States uh, or in all of North America unless you're importing it from overseas. But the potassium sulfate market right now is on the exact same trend line. So for those of you that have uh, salt sensitivity uh, and you have to be careful about applying potassium chloride for whatever reason, say you, you've got say, uh, centipede or St. Augustine and you can't absorb that higher salt index material, then you're going to have to be real careful too because, again, the uh, sulfate of potash prices are absolutely uh, skyrocketing right now. And it can be a tough thing. So if you have 200 parts per million of potassium in your soil and you've got a decent CEC, then maybe it's something where you back off on your potassium until eventually you catch up a little bit and uh, or prices stabilize and then you can start applying it. Because realistically, if you're high enough in potassium, you can take a little bit of time off and mine your soil of what's there before you have to dip into your pocketbook and spend the money on it. Ryan, you got to hit the button on your camera to bring it back on. There, Hang on there it is. Look at that. Fresh and brand new. Um, okay, so I am going to move on to the next soil test here. And uh, this should be big enough for everybody to see at home. Um, this is a uh, the, the favorite of, of our group. I would say of all of us here, the one soil test that everybody absolutely loves to see is a my soil soil test. And so uh, here, here we are. Um, uh, uh, Ray, if you want to go ahead and begin here and let us know what you see. And, and yeah, well, let's, let's hear what you want to do. Oh, and let me see if I have any information pertinent to what kind of uh, uh, lawn this is. Oh, yeah. So here we go. This is from... 
who is this from? This is from On the Lawn Training. He said, uh, I'm aware I probably chose the wrong soil test to take, but it's all I have at the moment. Not sure if you can give me any guidance or product recommendation and application frequency because of the test, because of the test, but I figured I would try anyhow. Uh, keep up the great work. I'll be tuning in. I live in Columbia, South Carolina, and I have centipede. Centipede. So Ray, <laughs> jump all over this because you know, I, if I had this lawn, I would literally spray it with gasoline and styrofoam. <laughs> I know you would, Matt. Anyway, it looks like his pH is actually, if it's credible, looks pretty good. Uh, the only thing that jumps out at me is his low potassium level again if this soil test is to be believed because what i typically see in centipede grass turf when the potassium is low is the foliage and the stems of the centipede start to turn purple and this is a deficiency symptom that is particular to centipede do not confuse it with other warm season or cool season grasses because what they do when they have a when, when they have a potassium deficiency is they will start to kind of turn brownish uh, a little bit burn looking whereas when centipede is deficient it turns purple but here's the big fallacy or mistake when you see that purple forming please do not run and start throwing down phosphorus because you will then chill the grass. And uh, did so... everybody at home hear that? Let's make sure they hear that. That if you see centipede turning purple, do not run and throw phosphorus on it. What happens when you overapply phosphorus to centipede, Ray? Okay, what happens to centipede when you overdo the phosphorus is that it will then, specifically in centipede grass, start to lock up manganese, iron, zinc, and copper. And then once that happens, the centipede is basically circling the, the drain and likely to die. And oh, by the way, Matt, the only time I've seen a lawn killed by fertilization with my favorite 111 is when I saw a consumer throw down 16, 15, 15 on their centipede grass lawn. They just torched it, burned it, killed it, and it died. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, I, I look at this and the first thing I'm going to do is discard the phosphorus number, even though it is extremely low. I have no idea what the quantitative values for uh, uh, for the mycel test to uh, establish what is an optimal range of phosphorus. So I have no idea what that means so i'm going to go ahead and just discard it because we are talking about centipede but the big thing here is obviously low potassium and everything else is really low in it and again i don't know what that means you know with you having a soil ph of 5.9 does that mean like and and this is it with the my soil test you know they are testing what's quote unquote available at the time well if you have a low soil ph typically that's going to increase the availability of some of your quote-unquote unavailable micronutrients so did they 
uh, did did the micronutrients not get absorbed into that ion resin? And then therefore, when you desorb it with hydrochloric acid, there was nothing ever adsorbed, so it's impossible to desorb it. So I, I honestly have no idea what I'm looking at when I'm looking at this test. It's not really giving me any kind of valuable information, but we'll say this is legitimate and this is exactly what's going on with the soil. It is centipede. And so, again, I would dip into my, my Ray pocketbook, and the first thing I would say is potassium nitrate. This would qualify as a lawn to apply potassium nitrate. Potassium nitrate can be expensive. So if you're a lawn care guy and you don't feel like going and spending bucks on, on bags of potassium nitrate, then the direction I would go would be urea and potassium sulfate. Um, centipede is one of the ones that is going to be extremely chlorine sensitive. Do not go applying a lot of muriate of potash to your centipede lawn or you're going to end up resodding the whole damn thing. I learned that the hard way, and I don't want anybody else to have to make that mistake. Uh, it was a gigantic mistake that I made for a multi-year time frame, and it ended up causing me a lot of sod that I had to put out on a lot of centipede, especially if you start facing some adverse conditions. I would not be actively trying to raise the pH on a 5.9 with centipede grass. It likes acidic soil conditions. Not trying to raise that at all. I'm going to leave it alone. So the big one here would be potassium, a little bit of nitrogen, and your centipede could be uh, uh, very responsive to micronutrients too. So I would have no issues about, about uh, spraying a full spectrum micronutrient package on this centipede as well. And with the pH being a six or lower, uh, you can get away with some of your cheaper chelation methods if you're concerned about that. So you can go with something like an EDTA chelation that may save you a little bit of bones. Uh, you can do your glucoheptanate chelations, which is going to save you some bones too. So just kind of my take on it. Ryan, I know you're not a centipede guy. Do you have anything you want to add? Not, not a centipede. centipede. I, I did. I, I knew, you know, enough to know that we don't put uh, myriad potash on it. So that's good. Ray's has taught me well on centipedes. So <laughs> thank you, Governor. Yeah. But uh, the, only the only thing I'll say here is, is uh, you know, I know we might look at some more, but I just have a very difficult time accepting this um, testing regime or methodology. And comparing it and giving anything that's a rating, right? If it's anything that we know for a fact is low, medium, high, because we have nothing, you know, to correlate this against in terms of actual value. So whether you subscribe to MLSN or SLAN, uh, I, I don't know how to correlate that data with what we're being shown here, right? So we're shooting from the hip when we look at my soap test, and quite frankly, unless somebody comes to the table and says otherwise. Anybody else is too, right? Because the other component here is we don't have any ground-tested data to show us how then that soil test correlation would actually be calibrated on the ground. So, right. So, if we're low in phosphorus, and let's just say it's not centipede, and we can put phosphorus down, how do I then know that okay, a you know half-pound out three times throughout the year is going to be enough to raise whatever this level is here to an optimum range? We just don't have that, right? So it's it's pretty, you know, for right now, and until more comes out about it and, and they share a little bit more about the methodology, and that's my thing is that, you know, with um, Mela 3, with, with any of the other test, testing methodologies, it's pretty much open source, right? Like, we all have access to understand how those are run. There's, uh, you know, accreditations for the labs that are running them to make sure that they're up to snuff. 
that's the one thing that bugs me about this is, is looking at it and being able to give solid sound recommendations agronomically as to what some should, you know, somebody should be doing with these numbers. Yeah, and you know, people are asking, you know, why it doesn't work, and I think we've done a good job there. Again, a mysole test is is you're relying on an adsorptive resin that will absorb ions in solution, so it has to dissolve. It doesn't take into account what is potentially available for root exudates and uh, uh, soil interactions, and so it's it's just not a, a total or complete picture of what you're actually working with. So. Um, you know, you may be working with the soil like we're looking at it with this soil test here that only has 1.38 parts per million of phosphorus. That could be true. Or it could have 158 parts per million of phosphorus. But because it was not acid digested, it was just relied. It, it was purely relying on what was able to absorb in that resin, which was in solution at the time when that resin was analyzed. Then we don't know if that's actually the whole picture or not. Um, all right, I'm going to move us on to the next one here. This is going to be uh, six and seven. This is going to be Chuck. And Chuck said, uh, these samples were collected at four inches to six inches with the top layer two inches removed. Uh, the roughly one acre lawn was broken down into four sections, all but one section uh, have had no treatments in the last 15 years. No fert, no chem, no nothing except a few spot treatments for weeds. A portion of each sample was combined to perform the composition analysis, which I did myself. Settling times were around one minute for sand, one hour for silt, and 24 hours for clay. Uh, the site one branch here said that high phosphorus was typical for our area. Uh, I'd like to hear y'all's recommendations for this since I overseeded last fall with a Lesco fairway mix, uh, which is just a particular type of seed mix he used and just started to get back into a decent yard again. So, um, Ray, when you, when you take a look at this test here, what are your, uh, what are your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts are that, you know, his pH is pretty decent. Of course, uh, at least he's not fighting a high pH. And number two, he's actually what I would call sufficient in phosphorus. This would not be one to get hit with a lot of 111. And finally, the other thing that's kind of jumping out at me is his potassium level and magnesium level in relation to everything else. <laughs> You know, that's the kind of jumping out at me right now. And Ray, what happens when we have inverted uh, 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 magnesium to calcium levels like that? What typically happens is your soil may become extremely sticky. Uh, I describe it to people as your, your lawn will be growing on top of something, the texture of axle grease. <laughs> and that is that's just not fun that's not pleasant I mean this would be for example a case where I would try to tilt the calcium to magnesium ratio with a little bit of a gypsum and try to offset that because when you apply gypsum to a low pH soil what will happen is that it will not move the pH in either direction, but that application has the capability of displacing excessive magnesium and possibly helping you with your soil structure and getting you out of that texture of ax axle grease condition. 
but this only works on lower pH soil. Uh, please save your money if you have a high pH and you're faced with this condition because chances are your the reason why your soil is of an unfavorable structure is because too much of your calcium in that soil is bound by carbonates and bicarbonates. And so the way out of that, if you do have a high pH soil versus a soil pH of 6.2, is actually to acidify that down to below 7 so that the calcium can react and then move the excessive magnesium out of the soil. Yeah, Ryan, when you look at this, what are, what are you thinking? Which direction are you going? This thing is pure Michigan, baby. I mean, this is <laughs> seriously like this is, you know, uh, we don't live too far, and I'll say the word, even though I'm Ohio State guy, I'll say the word. It's okay. Um, but they do. It's, it, the, the, the Site 1 guys deserve a gold star because, I mean, they're right. They do have high, uh, high P soils in certain parts of Michigan. And so this is not um, uncommon from up there. So the things that jump out to me and uh, his narrative that he wrote, he said that he sampled this from four to six inches and removed the top two. The thing that's really, really critical in soil sampling, in particular for P, is making sure that you have a fixed depth, right? And whatever we're pulling off is just that batch layer, right? So we just want to remove that organic layer on the top. And the reason being is every inch that we go down, we lose about 33% in terms of parts per million that get measured in the lab, right? So if I get a bunch of soil that's six inches, right, and I mix that with a bunch of soil that's only three inches, my results are going to be skewed. So I want to keep that at a consistent depth, and I want to be darn sure that I report that to the lab accurately, too, because they're going to use a different factor to calculate these numbers right here. So that's a very, very critical component when we're dealing with high pea soils. The other thing to consider, too, here, he's in the Great Lakes region, right? Um, anybody in the Great Lakes Basin knows that um, – that algae is a big problem right now in the lakes. And so Foster's is getting a, a major bad rap right now in all the, the states contiguous to the Great Lakes uh, and the waterways that feed into them. So um, anything that we can do to prevent doing that, and really this is more of, you know, Matt, you get into this a lot um, on your streams and stuff like that. It's just the responsibility aspect of, we are the most visible folks that are doing this, right? And we are the low-hanging fruit. It's really easy to chop our legs out from under us before big ag and other folks get it. If Foster's number like that, just stay away from it and make sure you're sampling correctly. Other than that, I mean, end of K, you probably go one-to-one -one just to keep it real. Um, you could probably go down, uh, down to half of your end if you really, really wanted to, but I think just, you know, keeping it simple uh, as far as what's available to you. So... Uh, the other thing, too, like Green Dog was saying, you know, the supplemental gypsum apps will definitely help. You know, you look at that organic matter percentage down there of 4.9. And between that and that ratio, uh, there, there could be some greasy stuff. So with calcium being a much larger molecule, uh, like what Ray said, you know, that's going to help that physical structure within the soil, uh, help displace some of the uh, magnesium that's in there, and then also just give you a little bit better tilt, kind of, in that sense. But he is right. What's that? Flocculation. Flo yeah, flocculation. But like Ray said, like it is a, it's a myth in high pH soils. It really is. But yeah, flocculation is one of the funner, uh, funner turf words or, or uh, soil science words to say, right? You didn't miss that one on your soil science 101 
final, did you? <laughs> it was the only thing I got right. <laughs> hey, and here you are now, giving out advice. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing, hey, the one thing I do want to point out that I, I thought was messed up on this thing. If you slide down to like the um, the recommendations, they've got it pegged for a half a pound of P two hundred five for a recommendation. Look at that first page on the pen yeah so what? I, I have not thrown the recommendations up on the screen for everybody putting okay. a log at home so don't and I, the reason why i did it is because so oftentimes the recommendations are so poor and we could do an entire hour on coming up with your own fertilizer recommendations and i'm sure we will definitely be doing that at some point uh, so uh, that's why I left recommendations off for those of you that are wondering. Okay. Well, yeah. So if, you, if you're playing along at home and you can't see this, the lab recommended a half a pound of pea. So again, to Matt's point, don't always take what the lab says, right? So, you know, these are overgeneralized and oversimplified and algorithms are spitting it out. Sometimes they're made for turf, sometimes they're not. And then, to be quite honest, some of them are made to sell for some of them aren't. So take that with a grain of salt, too. too. Yeah, so uh, I really echoing what everybody said. Now I would go about this much cheaper. Uh, so I would at 130 parts per million of potassium, I would definitely only be applying half the amount of potassium that I would nitrogen in this instance. Under no circumstance whatsoever would I be applying phosphorus to this lawn. So a 20010, a 30015, a 1005, however you want to cut it, slice it, spin it, and dice it, uh, that is what I would be doing because I'm more concerned about saving the money when I've got a soil test that looks like this than I am anything else. It's not, it's not quite, quite unicorn, unicorn soil, soil, but it's, it's pretty, pretty darn, darn close. It's good enough for government work. How about that? Hey, yeah. yeah. Low, Low bid yeah. BS. <laughs> All right, I'm going to throw the next one up here. Uh, this is going to be from just Craig. Uh, pardon me, gentlemen. This is going to be another my soul test, so uh, please don't shoot me. Uh, but he says, <laughs> hey, this is Craig. This is a soil test from Northern California, Central Valley. Tall fescues. Some nutrients are very high. Is that bad? Man, isn't, isn't everybody in California, California high? <laughs> Oh, wait, sorry. That's gold. Right. That's gold. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I was going to say, we know somebody in, in Cali that's high right now and not just the soil. So uh, let's take a look at this here real quick. Let me zoom in. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of go ahead and, and kickstart this right here. Again, we don't really know how accurate it is, so I'm going to take all this at face value. And if all this at face value is indeed high, and uh, in the soil. And, you know, one of those things that could have happened, right, was a fertilizer application made right before the soil test was done, because a lot of times that can artificially uh, uh, raise, you know, nutrient availability and it would reflect in a test like this. So we don't know. But assuming this is exactly what is going on, super simple, I would be applying nitrogen and only nitrogen and you can kind of pick your poison on it if you want to apply urea ammonium nitrate if you want to apply ammonium nitrate if you want to apply urea i probably would not be applying ammonium sulfate with the soil ph of six but it would be on a beautiful nitrogen only program and i would continue testing every year until i needed to start spending the money on the nutrients again to bring them back into my program it's a cheap way to approach it but i can still get the results i'm looking for because assuming this is accurate i still have the availability or excess of the other nutrients in the turf so y'all go ahead 
I would do the same thing. I think you baseline it. I, I would baseline it with something else besides my soil just to know where you're at in terms of uh, generally accepted nutrient levels. And then just what Matt said, uh, I'd go N only and you can live with that. And like you said, once every, you know, test it every year, every two years probably even, and I think you'd be pretty happy with the results. Ray, what would you do? I, I will third that. I would third that. And I would, in fact, uh, go specifically towards urea or UAN, and I normally don't care to even apply urea as a turf fertilizer, but in this case, if the soil test results are even remotely credible, this is where I go, and of course I'd, you know, just spoon feed the turf with urea or UAN to supply nitrogen and not worry about it. However, I would also agree with Ryan in getting a standardized you know, industry accepted soil test and actually monitor my levels every year to see if something's going down, if something's dropping because by the way folks even if I were to see these wonderful fantastic phosphorus and potassium levels the one thing that will change those two levels is if this is a highly maintained lawn where clippings are collected when the lawn is mowed. And I think the three of us have kind of come up with how much nutrients are removed from the soil with regular clipping collection, haven't we? That's a good point. So, yeah, because... The other reason why I'm even bringing this up is because I know a little something about California. What? California has a lot of small yards and very detailed landscapes, and the tendency is not to let the clippings fly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely a concern. concern. I mean, it's something where we're probably, and especially in a year-round climate too, so there's going to be um, that much more metabolized each year. So it would be even more of a reason, right, to probably go after and get a reputable soil test. Yeah, get a good test. Yeah, get a good test done because, and you repeat that test, uh, you know, every year at the same time. And yep. my preference is, and like with what I try to do is I try to give myself at least 30 days space between the last fertilizer application and when I next draw my fertilizer, you know, when I next draw my soil test because I don't want the lab to see an artificially high concentration of nutrients. You know, if that makes sense. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Uh, is, is something someone said here is is the the boron level something to get excited about with it being that low? Uh, with tall fescue, do we need to worry about boron levels? I mean, you hardly ever see any type of boron deficiency in any any turf grass, really, and it's not too hard to overdose on something like that. So, yep, 
I think that's yeah. easy enough. Um, all right, I'm going to move on to the next test. This is going to be a different one of the bunch, and we are going to be looking at a Haney test. Uh, so, uh, Ray, go ahead and give us your input on uh, this particular Haney test or just Haney test in general if you want to give us an overview of uh, either what you think about it or what it does. Pick your poison. Okay. Well, let me just see if anything jumps out at this, you know, at me on this is, you know, overall, this guy has uh, more what I'm going to call wonderful unicorn type soil (laughs) that doesn't have a glaring you know, phosphorus or potassium deficiency, and his pH is good. So he's another lucky guy where management-wise, he's looking at applying only as much nitrogen as he needs to maintain growth. That's 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 my that's my opinion of this, and. Uh, because I don't even look at the, you know, what Haney's trying to do in terms of looking at what they, you know, what's in the soil and then looking to see how much, uh, you know, exactly what you need to apply. I'm looking at this from the point of view that nutrients also drive turf growth. Because the Haney test is actually intended for agricultural crops where you are walking a line between maximum yield and being able to make money by not applying more nutrients than what the field actually needs to give you that desired crop yield. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so... I agree with Ray that it's it's pretty darn good soil, and to run a Haney on it, uh, you know, nobody's wrong for wanting more data, right? So it's just you know a cost benefit analysis here. And like Ray said, you know, if we're we're in turf, we're not trying to increase yield, right? There is a there is a finite point to which we want to do that and have the lawn look you know great and be growing enough to you know recover from whatever stresses it's under. But in this case. I just don't see a need to do that. So, you know, if if this individual was uh, so inclined to be more data-driven, I would look more closely at uh, the growth potential model as one source. And then uh, with it being a lawn care company, you know, there's ways I think that you could do this on uh, specific routes or specific properties of doing um, the uh, clipping volume collection to understand what your growth rates are and whether you need to, quote-unquote, press the gas pedal with nitrogen applications or pull back and hang back there. So if it, if it is a truly highly managed property, those are two things that I would get into on the data collection side. But, you know, as far as, you know, applications, this is and only monitor it once a year. Uh, and then the only other thing is just like we talked about with the California sample is if you are collecting clippings, understand what your nutrient removal is, which uh, growth potential will help you do that as well. Yep, I don't think there's anything for me to add, so I'm going to move on to the next collection of tests here, and this is going to be impossible to read for everybody at home, so I'm going to go through, starting at the top one here, a pH of 7, 
Uh, we have, uh, let me look at everything here. Oh boy. Um, <clears throat> okay. We have 205 parts per million of potassium. And uh, according to a Malik three test, we have 52 parts per million of phosphorus. So, you know, if this is something I was managing, I would probably be doing a four to one in decay. Uh, so, you know, for every four units of nitrogen, I apply, I apply, you know, one unit of, uh, uh, potassium. So a 2005, uh, something, something of the sort like that. And because with 205 parts per million of potassium and, uh, he's in Iowa. Can you apply uh, phosphorus in Iowa? I think you can, no problem. But Pretty I should sure, yeah. probably stick to only uh, during at time of seeding. If I'm at 52 parts per million, I can I can get down a pound of P205 when I'm at seeding and somewhat maintain this level that I that I've got going here, and not really going to be concerned a whole lot with it because there's not again not really any deficiency here. Then we move on to the next one. pH is a little high. So this may be something where I definitely would be using ammonium sulfate as my nitrogen source. But phosphorus is critically low here. We're 18 parts per million now. So this is where I would definitely be doing something like a MAP or a DAP, probably in the springtime and at time of seeding. Um, and I probably would not be applying phosphorus on this, but I would be doing either elemental sulfur or a combination of elemental sulfur and citric acid. And then on the third test here on the very bottom, a soil pH is 6.3, 231 parts per million of potassium and 87 parts per million of phosphorus. I'd be running a nitrogen only program. So if you wanted to balance that out between the three of these applications, if they're on the same route, something like that, I would upsell a pH modification program for property number two, and I would still stick to applying phosphorus only at the time of seeding. Uh, and maybe as part of that pH manipulation program, add another application of phosphorus to that lawn. Otherwise, I'm going to be running either straight nitrogen only or just a fraction of amount of potassium in my, in my program. What about y'all? Yeah, I, I agree with all, all three of them in that, uh, number one, you don't add, uh, you know, a lot of phosphorus except at time of seeding, and you can apply more nitrogen than phosphorus on them, and, and nitrogen versus potassium on number one. That's, that's good to do, but the key point that I'd like to make is just because your, your potassium is good doesn't mean that you get to slack off and not pay attention to it because potassium is a nutrient that can be and will be leached out with rain. So you really got to watch it. And if you're, if it happens to be good, that means that you will be giving it a little bit of potassium at each when you're applying nitrogen because nitrogen drives uptake of potassium and potassium in the grass tissues is what enables the grass to enable, you know, to tolerate adverse weather conditions like excessive heat, excessive humidity, cold. So this is not a place where I'd be lax about my potassium, number one. Or number two, this is, you know, get this pH down or else you'll be, you can be the world's sorriest person. 
that's my that's my only answer to this. And if in fact they determined that phosphorus level in the seven point five soil with mealic three, uh its phosphorus is actually lower than that, so it is time to incorporate MAP or DAP into the turf grass management program, even, and, you know, use that as part of his nitrogen and get the pH down, please, because I never like to see grass being made to hang at a pH of seven and a half. Right? That's just not, not ideal for you. And on the last right, so one, go ahead. Okay. Well, you had a question, Ryan? <laughs> I did, I did. We had a discussion a little while back, but just for the folks at home on alkaline soils, you know, we there's some old wives' tales out there about Matt versus Dap on alkaline soils. What's your take on that? At the end of the day, it actually does not matter because DAP is diammonium phosphate and MAP is monoammonium phosphate, and the only difference between the two is that monoammonium phosphate produces a mildly acidic solution when it's in water. Diammonium phosphate produces a mildly alkaline solution when it's in water. However, the key point to pay attention to people is that ammonium ion that the fertilizer is carrying is what is going to acidify your soil because when your ammonium ion goes into the soil, the nitrifying bacteria get to it, what's going to happen is it's going to go to that ammonium, take it apart, and you're going to have nitrate, and you're going to have free H plus ions, and for those of us that remember our you know, chemistry classes, H plus is what, Brian and Matt? Acid. Acid. <laughs> right. Not the kind you drop, though. Not the kind you drop. Not, 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 the, not the kind that you do at clubs, right? But, but it's an acid. And so when you when you use either DAP or MAP, you are going to make the soil mildly more acidic, so it actually does not matter. The only difference between MAP and DAP is that DAP tends to have 18 units of nitrogen for every, I think it's 50 something. I think 51 it's 
soluble phosphorus and that nitrogen mode that one of those two carry. And I know I've seen literally both MAP and DAP, and by the way, in solution grade form nonetheless. And the only difference that I can possibly see is MAP is compatible with solutions of magnesium sulfate. DAP is not. That's the only difference that I've, that I've seen, you know, in terms of what it does as a fertilizer. Otherwise, the turf and the ornamentals don't care which one you give it. <laughs> okay. It don't care. And then the last one that we're going to talk about is this guy's last test where his pH is 6.3, his potassium is pretty good, and his phosphorus is pretty good. This is a case of give it nitrogen only. Uh, you have some leeway as to what your nitrogen source is, and you just watch your potassium level year to year and this is going to be a case where I say this is going to be the least expensive and troublesome log to take care of or deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. It, only, it only needs nitrogen. <laughs> what do you got, Ryan? Well, well what you guys said, I mean, the the second test there uh, with the 7.5, that's concerning. That's that's kind of indicative of soils we see here in Ohio. And, yeah, you're, you're fighting it all the time of trying to acidify it and – Yep, that's, that's all you can do is just pound with yellow salt with the citric acid and it freaks people out and raise a big component of it. But man, it works. You know, it's a good management tool to have in the box. And I think uh, it's worth, like what you said, Matt, it's worth that pH modification program and trying to show folks uh, the difference. And then, you know, there obviously the, the phosphorus too. So yeah, I think there's a lot of good to work with here. There's that one stinker in the middle, which... It's probably it's always, always going to be, you know, somewhat, somewhat of a stinker. It's, it's just, just imagining, you know, um, you know, imagining a new way to take care of that and trying to sell people on that. That could be something that I, I don't think would be problematic because I think you can show results pretty easily uh, as you modify and work that pH down. Yeah. Live that right life. And yeah, because here's my experience with getting soil pH down. That is literally in a lot of cases, a game changer because here's my experience. When soil pH is above seven or below six, unless I'm dealing with unicorn grass, like say buffalo grass for the high pH or centipede grass for the lower pH, you know, under sub six range, not being in that pH six to seven range makes maintaining that turf grass a rather miserable experience. You can be throwing fertilizer on it and wondering why your grass is not responding to the application or the response so, is very fleeting. <laughs> did you see Steve's message in the chat there, Matt, that on this middle of the three tests that is showing... 299 parts per million uh, sodium? No, I did not see that. Okay. Uh, this is on test number two. What does that say? Test. 200. Oh, yeah. 300 parts per million of sodium. 
Lord have mercy. Something's wrong right there. there. Yeah. You uh, got a fertilizer uh, probe, a fertilizer probe stuck in there or something, maybe? I mean uh yeah, because that I'm not sure you would be growing grass in two hundred and ninety nine parts per million of sodium. Yeah. No, you wouldn't. And uh Oh, wait a second. Let me let me read his story on this because I, I believe there there was a, a a story that went with this. Uh, uh, the second white one, crust. he called me out to take a look at his lawn because it looked terrible. I could see a white crust on him and told him something happened with a city truck or a neighbor. He insisted no snow piles removed on it or accidents with the sidewalk spreader. Uh, maybe he's he made someone mad. Yeah, I mean this is clearly spilled salt uh, because you don't have sodium levels that high. Uh, clearly the grass was dead. Um, I think you pointed that out with the issue you you described here. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, flush it what's, out. With what's water. the application? Yeah, what's, what's the application of credit from an ex girlfriend? Tell us. Uh, I don't know. I mean, apparently uh, a lot of water given the salt is. Yeah, yeah, I, I probably in if it's a hyper localized area like this, I'm not going to be uh, 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 you know broadcasting gypsum over the whole property. I'm just not going to spend the money on it. But I would flush it with a significant amount of water. Yep. Yeah, I think the, yep. the, the, yeah, yeah. But if you want to get rid of the ex girlfriend, you know, little Hugo Boss want to go to the club, man. Just try it, see what happens. <laughs> All right, I'm going to move on to Dave. Uh, Dave's test here, and he said the yard is about 70% weeds and poa and 30% to bear dirt, and he wants to um, sprig. I'm sorry, he wants to seed tall fescue. Uh, it does say sprig seed, but you can't sprig tall fescue, so we're going to pretend like it just says seed. Um, and you can, believe, try, you can try and fail. You can try and fail. That is going to be on the second, uh, the test on the right here. The test on the left is going to be just impossible to read. So um, how about we just focus with the test on the right? Ray, how are you going to approach these? Okay. First of all, uh, what's jumping out at me is this peach. That's jumping because, uh, number one, unless you're trying to grow centipede, 5.4 is not a good time, <laughs> number one. Number two is phosphorus and potassium are low, so good idea to do a supplementation program that addresses that. And the time to deal with particularly low pH soils is before you even seed the grass. You know, get your lime down at least 30 to 60 days before you're actually going to seed. Give it time to react. And so that way, when you try to even apply your starter fertilizer, the starter fertilizer doesn't react with the acid soil and become useless to the turf grass. And on the second test, yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's like right on the, right on the margin. So you should be watching it, but uh, again, his phosphorus levels are like right near where I'd be concerned. So again, you know, watch his phosphorus and potassium and nitrogen 
is, as Ryan so aptly describes it, it is like the gas pedal for the lawn. You want the grass to grow faster, thicker, bigger, give it, give it a little more nitrogen. But your phosphorus and your potassium is always going to be what I'm going to call what makes the car. You know, it's the tires, the engine, the frame, the body, the the nitrogen is just like the gasoline that you put in it to make it go. <laughs> Brian, what stands out to you with these? Same thing. I mean, if he's going to go 12 FSU in Rock Hill, South Carolina, you know, Charlotte area-ish, I mean, that's... So I guess the question I would have first is they're prepping to see that, I hope that it's going to be a, a fall season because there's a lot, to work, a lot of work to do here on the soil, right? So, so living and dying, dying like what's, what's there, there for now, and then having the soil ready for that. So, um, like, like Ray said, said I'd be I'd working on pH right, right now. The uh, one to one 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 ain't going to be a bad thing here to start loading things, things up a little bit. bit. I mean, get yourself ready to go, and then again, talk. I just, I'm not, I'm not an expert in the the Charlotte climate. But, but I always, always get freaked, freaked out about, about tall, tall fescue down there, man. I, mean, I, I know it can be done. done. I know it's good. good but um, I'd be I'd looking at more season options for me in that, that situation. situation. Yep. The one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one right yep. here. Uh, I I wouldn't do anything else except except lime, uh, and yeah. I would call it good. And and being that, uh, you know, the other one is, is you know, 30% bare dirt and 70% weeds and boa. Hell, Get it all done. Just blow the budget. Spend the money. Get it down. Seed and and then from that point, you you're kind of like riding a roller coaster, right? You just you're kind of hanging on for the ride. So, I mean that 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 would be my approach. I would try and keep this, you know, as relatively simple as possible because there's uh, it's it's actually pretty straightforward on what to do. It's expensive, but uh, it's straightforward on what to do. All right, I am throwing up the next one here, and uh, this is a little spectrum analytics test. We've got a soil pH of 5.6, uh, potassium levels of 14 parts per million. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, 66 parts per million, and phosphorus, according to Malik 3, at 14 parts per million. Uh, a fraction of amount of calcium and uh, a little bit of magnesium, too. Now, this is interesting this is what's interesting is uh, magnesium. I, I'm sorry. The calcium in this point is actually at the critical level of deficiency. Huh. So seeing yep. this, uh, uh, Ryan, how would you, how would you handle this, uh, this product here? <laughs> I want to know what's growing in this stuff. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good question. Let's see here. Uh, I do. I do not know. What this is like sight unseen. This is going to be. Oof. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Fort Mill, South Carolina. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out there that this is. Oh, no. It says tall fescue down here. Yikes. My goodness. Yikes. At 5.6. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, there's a lot to be done here, right? So I'm wondering if this is like a, a new bill or something like that because, man, there's some critically low about This looks like. Be horizon soil that got dumped on a lawn and then seeded, right? And some new home development or something. Because there's just nothing there. Um, you know, 
starting with your one one one, obviously, and just pounding the bejesus out of that, and then that calcium magnesium ratios, it's a little touchy there. So we might look at that. So I mean, I think on the uh, on our lime, I mean, we're definitely looking at dolomitic lime here for sure, and pounding the crap out of that, and then. 0.7 on the organic matter. That's the other reason. Uh, you know, typically you don't see that in um, older, more developed soils, right? So I pull a lot of samples from excavated sites and things like that that are being developed, and that's the kind of thing you only see on soil that's way, way, way deep that doesn't have anything or has not had anything uh, growing in it for ever, if at all. So there's a lot of work to do there. I mean, you're, and the thing is too with the low organic matter and low CEC, I mean, you're going to be on this thing like all the time. I mean, it's going to be spoon feeding approach. It's going to be um, a lot of testing too, right? Because you're going to have to see how much and how far you're moving the needle. So this might be a candidate here for uh, maybe even two or three times a year on soil testing. I mean, this is worse than a putting green. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, what would you do? First of all, a lot of dolomite lime. A lot. I mean, I'm not kidding because if you're trying <laughs> Wait, to grow... How much yeah, magic can you do? More than what you can afford, Matt. More than what back you guys up. can afford, Matt. <laughs> that was Ryan. I didn't say truck. that. That was Ryan. Back up the truck. Okay, more than... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, more, more, more than more than what you can afford, seriously, and you still are not going to deal with that low magnesium level because here's what happens to turf grass that is growing on critically low levels of magnesium. The grass is always going to look yellow, pale, thick, and someone thinking that, oh, that's iron, that's manganese, that's, you know, copper, zinc. The more iron, copper, manganese, and zinc you spray on that lawn trying to get it greener, the deeper the hole you dig in for yourself until you get that magnesium up. So this is a lot of uh, dolomite lime, preferably very finely ground, like, uh, you know, 90% passing through 100 mesh, and I'm in agreement with Ryan about this is a lawn where your baseline feeding is 111, and in fact, looking at this, this would be the kind of lawn where I would first chunk my pH up with, you know, dolomitic lime, and then I'd be at it regularly with a 111 readily available. And I wouldn't try to soil load this lawn either because there's no organic matter or CEC to even hold on to what I would be applying. So if I, I mean, if, I, if I had a soil like this in construction, I, I mean, we would either bury it with new soil or we would amend it heavily with organic material, right? And there's a fine line there right. too, right? Because we can get we can get too much in there too quickly, and that's a that's a concern, right? And especially for me, mm -hmm. like that's I, I can't get every one percent 
like in our soils, every 1% of uh, organic matter added, that's another 25,000 gallons of water holding capacity per acre. Now, it seems like a lot, and then once you get up past three and four, um, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a concern for me from a, a playability safety aspect. And a lawn, not so much of a big deal, but yeah, this is stuff that should not have grass mm -hmm. growing in it for any suitable purpose whatsoever. And whoever sold this to this gentleman for whatever reason probably should be in court. It's just, <laughs> it's going to be expensive on the front end. I like taking on projects like this uh, because um, it, it, it makes me feel like I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Uh, because because when you when you do turn it around, you know everybody's high fiving you. Everybody else in the neighborhood is high fiving you, and you feel you feel like a superstar every time you show up to treat the lawn. So I don't mind this, but again, for the lawn care guy that's out there that pulls up on something like this and is trying to sell a program, do not try and undercut somebody to get this lawn. You're going to have to spend a lot of money to make this look good consistently year round. So understand it's going to cost money. Therefore, you have to charge money. Don't try and be the cheap guy in town when you've got a soil test like this that you're trying to make yourself feel good about. I'll say one other thing yeah. to that, too, is you, you've got, you know, a lot of if you've got a lot of new homes going up like here in my area, tons and tons and tons of new home builds, right? And it's really, really easy to, you know, if you didn't test this soil, right, you just say, hey, the grass looks crappy, we'll throw a bunch of, you know, P and K at it along with our end program and be good. But you would never know that that 5.6 pH is never, ever, ever going to get you anywhere. So, again, the power of soil testing, you know, is goes directly to your pocketbook. Uh, and that's a very important thing. Ray, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no problem, because I actually saw and dealt with a soil that was like this and the intended turf grass on it was Bermuda. And you know what my clue was? The rest of the neighborhood had centipede grass that was thriving. Okay, Matt, I mean, cover your ears, sir. Ear most time. Centipede grass was thriving, and these people had Bermuda. And I looked like a magician when... I shot that lawn with about five pounds of hydrated lime and five pounds of magnesium sulfate per thousand square foot. And they were literally watching that grass get greener and thicker every day for the next two weeks. Yeah. I, 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 all right, I'm going to go on here. I, I'm going to do this one, and then I'll do one more, and then we'll have to call it, and then we'll pick up the rest of them uh, on another show um, it, because they're just they're, they're still continuing to pour in. My email over here is, is vibrating <laughs> in my pocket, and it is just unbelievable how many emails are flying right now. So that's a, that's a good thing. Um, all right, now this one is really cool to me. It's from Norway. I don't think anybody at home is going to be able to read this, so I, uh, I have to pull this up on another monitor even to be able to read it myself. Um, and and so not only did he pull the soil test, soil test in Norway, he sent it to the U.S. to be tested, which I thought was just that's dedication, you know. Uh, but if you saw the property, you would understand. And just to kind of point this out, this is on extreme slopes. Uh, that he's growing this on, and uh, and to the point, it's such an extreme slope. He actually uses a robot to mow it. Uh, 
and <laughs> this is actually a great test because it covers just about everything in it that you would ever could possibly want to know. But as for the highlights, 131 parts per million of potassium, uh, a pH of 6.1. Where are we at on phosphorus? It looks like they did a Bray test on phosphorus, but we're at 50 parts per million on our Bray test. Uh, the, the micronutrient loads look good for the most part. Uh, except for um, manganese and zinc and copper look low or is that oh no 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 uh they're just talking about what's available and what's not there so you know not a real hard one to go after here this is where i would be applying a two to one in decay and uh and i would be using phosphorus at seed time and that would be pretty much the end of story i would keep an eye on that ph and if it dipped into the fives i would start trying to raise it and it looks like i would actually raise it with dolomitic lime uh, but at a 6.1, I'm not just going to be out there jumping on it. It is a low magnesium level. So if you wanted to get cute with your micronutrients and add some magnesium in with your micronutrient package, you can have fun there with it. And that'll turn things nice and beautifully green. Uh, but um, like I said, I, I just I wouldn't be real quick to do a whole lot with it outside of a two to one and then phosphorus at seed time uh, just to maximize the return on my budget. Pretty straightforward. I agree, and I didn't see. Did he? Did he say which grass he's growing? Uh, yes, he's actually growing a fine fescue. Ah, okay. all right. Okay. Well, then, so okay. the. Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. Okay, here's where we need to kind of think now. Uh, I've come to understand that fine fescue is another turf grass that doesn't do well when you push high nitrogen. It actually is a grass that, in some aspect, starts to act like centipede grass. It doesn't like a lot of nutrition. And so, oh, and there's one more little thing. Fine fescue also prefers a more acidic soil. So I got to go back to that and agree Hang on one second. One second. Let me let me continue with the story here. I did not tell the entirety of the picture. Uh, He is considering transitioning to Kentucky bluegrass. Oh, oh, he's not keeping the fescue. No, and he was asking about the fine fescue continually laying down and was wondering if he could help that stand up with additional silica. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, you're just dealing with the genetics of of fine fescue there, and fine fescue laying over is like a perfectly normal thing that it does. Well, so it depends, too, Mm -hmm. on what kind of fine fescue he's got, right? So, you know, like we can mow chewing's fescue down to like a half an inch, right? So it really depends on... um, within the fine fescues which one we're talking about but they're all very much like that like what Chris ray said so two pounds per year like max on n like absolute max they're a very very uh low input uh type of turf and so the thing other thing too that you know you got to really be careful with too on the on the n rave is um they will get super thatchy on you too. Even at lawn height, they'll get really, really thatchy if you overfeed them and it just turns into a mess and there's not really a whole lot you can do to recover it. So if he's going to uh, continue to do that 
and go down the fine fescue path, uh, I'd be very, very ju judicious with uh, all the inputs. And in particular, if he's going to switch over to Kentucky bluegrass, which I'm sure would do very, very well in that climate, um, the things I would be looking at then for sure would be the magnesium and the manganese level in particular. So um, manganese and Kentucky bluegrass, the correlation there is on uh, summer patch, which again, in his climate might not be as big of an issue, but um, strong correlation there to low soil levels and high incidence of summer patch. So a uh, little, little bit low on that. So the one thing I would address if he goes down that route. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it all depends on, I guess, what kind of grass he ends up with, because if it were in fact Kentucky bluegrass, then he'd have to look at increasing his input. And from what I understand, pine fescue tends to be the native grass in a lot of parts of the UK and Europe period. It's like a native grass. It's uh, widely grown, and of course, it is because that is the turf grass that is adapted to the conditions with what I'm going to call minimal or lower inputs. <laughs> yeah, I mean Kentucky blue, uh, Kentucky bluegrass is actually a, a descendant from the UK as well. So it's meadow grass over there, and it was brought over here. I mean, virtually yeah. all the grasses, cool season grasses that we have here are. Um, brought over and adapted from, you know, German German bents were the first ones to come over here. Um, perennial ryegrasses came from generally in the UK and parts of uh, Western Europe. So, yeah, it's it's acclimated to that climate and everything, but obviously with all the breeding and everything that's taken place. So, I, I you know, I don't think you can go wrong. I think it just comes down to if he's um, unhappy with the texture, right? And so when we say texture, how the plant is standing up, laying over, or, you know, its growth habit in that regard – then Kentucky bluegrass, if you want something that's going to stand right up, that's the actual growth habit of, of good, uh, high-quality Kentucky bluegrass. So I would consider that if that is a major concern. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, the tendency is this fescue to kind of lie down unless you mow it lower. And I think mowing that lower tends to get into another set of issues as well. <laughs> Because I, I know somebody that does mow their pine fescue a little bit lower and is on a uh, lower input program. I think it's uh, that's gravy. Friend over gravy, yeah, that's gravy. I mean, I we basically talked him through a revamp of his uh, management program where he stopped treating it like other cool season grasses, and he's actually a lot happier with it mm -hmm. since doing that. You know. Way off on the on the nutrients, uh, mow it, uh, look at it, enjoy it, uh, but don't try to push it because I think what it is is especially with the fine fescue, it does not like being pushed to grow. If that makes sense to you guys, no, it's the, it doesn't. And the thing too that you know people here are you know lawn enthusiasts, pros, whatever. They're probably thinking, well, why the heck would I grow a grass that? doesn't have a lot of inputs. It's not, it's not a very fun grass to grow, right? You don't get to a lot, do a lot of cool stuff to it, but it isn't, you know, it's uh, impressively good in shade and that's the real place where it shines. Ducky bluegrass cannot perform well in shade. Perennial ryegrass cannot perform well in shade. Tall fescue, a little bit, 
not too bad, but fine fescue, that's where it's a real champ. So um, the low input stuff, if, if anybody's into fine fescue and if this gentleman's listening, probably the best work on fine fescue that's coming out right now is out of the University of Minnesota. Ryan Knorr would be fist pumping right now if he was listening. Um, but mm -hmm. in any event, University of Minnesota, take a look at their stuff on low input turf and fine fescue. All right, I'm going to I'm going to move on to the uh the last one of the evening here and then we'll have to pick this up in another show because we've got so many. I just got three more emails <laughs> come in and it's it's giving me anxiety at this point. So, uh we're going to make this the last one and this is from uh this is from Nate Dog. Uh he said sample pulled from 20 locations at the 4 to 6 inch mark, then mixed and sample pulled. Mild weather all winter. Lawn just seemed to never go dormant. Had some moss grow in a little bit as well over the winter. Uh, likely to switch to a different local extension office test next year. He's in the Pacific Northwest. Mix of predominantly perennial ryegrass and Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, Mazama and SS9000. I have no idea what that is. 5,500 square feet. There's some fine fescue in there as well, but not concerned if it gets hurt. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we'll take a look at this and see what we plan on doing. Again, the caveat here is this is a mysole test, so we don't know the validity of what this is actually telling us. So, uh, Ray, go ahead. Give us, give us a little input here. What you thinking? What I'm thinking is typical of the Pacific Northwest is if this test is to be believed, it's pH. You know, number one, number two, calcium levels, number three, magnesium levels. And then finally, you know, the low phosphorus, low potassium, uh, dolomite lime, let that react. And then uh, from 111 as is baseline nutrient program. Or, because he's in the Pacific Northwest, switch to a combination of bent grass and fine fescue and mow it low. And wait for the poet to come in. And wait for the poet to come. Right, because right. It's gonna, it's, <laughs> it's gonna come, and there's only so much you can do about it. So, yeah, I'd agree that this, you know, you've got a lot of issues. And again, this, setting the validity of, of the numbers aside for a second. You know, yeah, one 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 and dolomitic lime, and that's going to solve seventy five percent of your problems. You know, and then you can kind of take it from there. But you've got to, I think, the same thing here. I, I keep going back to this. Just get a good baseline test. It's not, you know, we can talk about this test and what it does and what it doesn't do and all that kind of stuff all day long. But to get accurate recommendations on what to do. We need good numbers, you know. It would be like me pulling your blood map for a cholesterol test, and it came back and just said cheeseburger. Like <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I've had one of those. Yeah, yeah, probably a couple, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 what I'd be looking at. Yeah, uh, I, everything is low on this, um, and, and including the pH. So you know. Start with the pH in the off season, and then uh, I would disregard your total nitrogen levels if you're at the end of the season or in the off season and you pull this and uh, just just act like it's not even there. Just draw red X's through it and and pretend like it never existed. Uh, but as we move into the phosphorus, okay, 
if these are indeed good, then uh, we will operate on the standpoint that, yeah, a one-to-one-to-one and a complete micronutrient package would just be so positive in the response you get from your turf that it's it i mean this is simple really it's again another one of those that's expensive but simple to fix yeah this is a real easy one to fix and the reason why it's easy to fix is my favorite kind of soil condition to deal with is soils with a sub-6 pH because, in my experience, it is easier to raise pH than it is to lower it. It's way easier any day. Fair statement. Yep. Fair statement. Says the guy with a whole bunch of alkaline soil here, so. (laughs) Mm, Ryan, uh, you know, I, I want you to see some of the soil that uh, we got here where instead of limestone, we have ocean water and coral underneath it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that runs into, you know, pH over seven plus uh, adequate sodium, to put it nicely. <laughs> All right, everybody, I'm going to go ahead and call that as a wrap. And uh, for those of you that are playing along at home, we will be doing another one of these. I So we are going to be doing this full-time over at allproturf.tv. So if you go there, subscribe, uh, get acquainted. Eventually, we're going to be building out a website. In the meantime, uh, our production guy, Jay Pink, is steady building out the back end. So it'll be way more organized and, and well put together. This is, this is something I threw together in about 15 minutes this afternoon. Uh, so... Anyway, uh, like I said, we'll be scheduling uh, scheduling another show here uh, soon enough uh, where we go through the rest of this. Whoa, I had some that music came in a little hot. We'll be scheduling another one of these to get through the rest of these soil tests. I'm not going to leave y'all uh, 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 hanging like that. So I will talk with Ray and Ryan off the air and we'll get everything going. So again, please go subscribe to the All Pro Turf show, allproturf.tv. And before we head out, Ryan, again, where can people get a hold of you? Oh, you can find me at www.fieldsourceohio.com and on Twitter, FieldsourceOhio. And Ray, where can everybody get a hold of you? Well, if they need to get a hold of me, I'm at, uh, I'm on Gmail, folks. Uh, I'm at R-E-Y-7-1-2-0-0-7 at gmail.com you know shoot me an email if uh, you got a question <laughs> yep or you can look us up on uh on the discord at the lawn forum discord we always have a good time over there so ray ryan i want to thank you all for for being here with me tonight i know it was a, a cluster f on my end but thank you all so much and we'll see <laughs> everybody on the flip side <laughs>